Hello, and welcome to episode number 317 of the Pin Attic Podcast. I am your host today, Brad Dowdy. My normal Pin Attic partner, Mr. Mike Hurley, is off vacationing. Well, honeymooning, I should say. It's not a real vacation. I attended his wedding. I've let him off the hook for the next couple of weeks. So I'm glad to be joined this week by my good friend, Jesse Coles. How's it going, Jesse? It's going pretty well, Brad. I'm excited to be on here with you. Thanks for asking me. This is going to be super fun because I get a lot of questions about pen shows and vintage pens and Estabrooks, and those are kind of your forte, I think, at least in the in the pen world. Uh, I mean, I know in real life you're actually go by Super Mom, but uh, in the uh, in the pen world, uh, you're you're known for those those things. So uh, I, I'm glad you I'm glad you said yes, so I can pick your brain for uh, you know the next. Uh, 45 minutes or so, uh, just about all these things you're into. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So I what I really want to know since, okay, so I don't know exactly when I first met you. I was trying to recall back and I couldn't come up with like a definitive time. Um, but we were just talking before the show. The last time I actually saw you in person was probably DC a year ago. But I guess we talk online so much now. I feel like I know you, but I really do don't. So like, I don't know where your story begins. Like, how do you even get into like stationary to begin with? Is this a new thing? Was this something you picked up when you were a kid that you, you know, pens and paper were important? How did, uh, how did just like your love for, for pens and inks and paper get started? Oh, I think that actually I was born with it. Um, <laughs> Yay. You know, uh, my mom, her favorite thing to do, um, every fall was to go, uh, school shopping with us because she, loved every bit of office supplies and all that. So I think it just came to me in my blood. Um, and I I don't know, um, I can't remember how I was into them before this, but when I was seven years old, I started keeping journals all the time mm-hmm. and writing down and uh, decorating paper and doodles and everything. So, of course, I got into the gel pens, you know. Absolutely. The 80s, the whole decade was amazing for gel pens. Um, it's the only place you could get any color. Uh, so I was rather addicted to those. And um, I got into the fountain pens. Um, I actually got like a little set when I was eight. And um, I ended up hating it because it would never work very well. Right. Um, I think it was like one of those Schaefer calligraphy sets. Yeah, that you just get like in the uh, like in the plastic packaging, like the sh- the plastic shell packaging, and you got to rip that thing open and figure out how to make these things work. Yeah, and if you don't use them all up at once, they go dry. Mm-hmm. So I had that, and I loved it, but then I hated it. Mm-hmm. So I stayed away from any kinds of fountain pens. Uh, but once my kids started back to school, about eight years ago or so, mm-hmm. I was looking for a better journal online. And uh, came across traveler stuff, and then I came across Metropolitans, and I figured, ooh, I can change the ink. That sounds like fun. <laughs> so yeah, that was the the last time I thought rationally. I think <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Now <laughs> y- you mentioned your kids. Have you passed along this gene to them? You know, the the state. Are they? Do you get more excited school shopping for stationery or them? Um. They enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I have one kid who is ravenous about fountain pens, and he mm-hmm. comes to shows with me. 
and my daughter comes to came to St. Louis with me. Um, so yeah, they have some of the the love there. Um, I think that uh, the mechanics of it get them. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned that you know you found the pilot metropolitan was kind of a. Uh, a rekindling of the fountain pen flame. That's not very long ago. And like, I have to wonder, like you're, you got into vintage pens and like restoring and repair them. And we're going to talk about some of the specifics to this later, but that's quite a jump. Like I've been into fountain <laughs> pens for a while. And, you know, if, if I break something, you know, or find something that's, uh, you know, out of whack, I'm sending, I'm writing a check for someone to fix it, <laughs> but you're, you're getting in there. How did, how did this, es- this seems like it escalated quickly, I guess, if you ask me. I think it did, but um, my, my degree in college was in aerospace and ocean engineering. Ah, So I've, I've always been tinkering with things and, um, uh, fixing up and working on them. Um, the mechanics behind them fascinated me. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. It, it pulled me in very quickly. Was there a p- particular and, pin that you, that you had at the time that you said, oh, this is broken. I'm going to figure out how to fix it. Was there like a specific pin do you, that you remember that happening with? Uh, it wasn't a specific pin. It was when I went to a pen show. Um, mm. I went to the Colorado show once and I was terrified because I had no idea what a pen show was going to be like. Um, but some of the vendors had boxes of broken pen parts or bags of um, pens that weren't, weren't worth their time to fix. Um, and I grabbed a couple of those during that show and brought them home and tried working on them. Mm-hmm. And I broke a couple and got one to work and it was the most thrilling thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I was hooked there just, um, just using all of the little tools and getting in and making it work again. So wh- when do you think this show was? Do you know which, how many years ago or what year this show was? Yeah, it was actually the second Colorado show. It was in 2015. Okay. So and, I, yeah, I want our listeners to do the math here. <laughs> this is not long ago and Jesse has taken this to an entirely awesome level from her, her gel pins in seventh grade <laughs> to a 2015 pin show not knowing really what she's getting herself into and now is one of the most I, I'll say it if you want, one of the most respected, you know, vintage pen restorers in our community. And Aww, I, I just want to, <laughs> I want our listeners to do that math and realize like what you've done just like in the past couple of years by just kind of setting out and figuring out and doing it yourself. And um, it, it takes a lot of, uh, to, a lot of confidence to dig in there and, and uh, find those pins you know, break them until you get it right. And uh, what did that feel like when you, like you said, you you were pretty excited. Did it did it make you want to go buy just bags of pin parts and try to, you know, put all these pins together? Yeah, well, eBay knows me well. <laughs> There's always broken pins around, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I was, I was um, just counting the days until the next pen show. I didn't know mm-hmm. there were other pen shows, right? Uh, but I did find those eventually. Do you know? 
do you know how you found the first Colorado Pen show? Because that seems like kind of a, a like a bit of an outlier for someone who wasn't really into fountain pens. Then you go to this pen show, and now we're here. Well, um, we uh, had been living in Kansas for a few years and moved back to Colorado uh, to be with family in mm-hmm. 2014. And I was already well addicted to fountain pens, and I was excited that we were moving back uh, close to Denver because I figured there's got to be some kind of fountain pen uh, stores there. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there was Paradise Pen at the time, and that was really it. Sure. Which, for but, those who don't know, that's like strictly modern, new, full MSRP shop. Yes. Yeah. But, and they also, you know, sold um, luggage and yeah. planners and all that. But I went in there just to see, you know, what was going on and be overwhelmed. Mm. But I started talking to um, Pete there and another couple people that had walked in and also talked to Pete about their own fountain pens and uh, just struck up friendship right away with anybody who was coming in there who knew about fountain pens. It was kind of amazing to me that there was that um, camaraderie already. And he told me um, that it was a shame that I'd come in right then because the first Colorado show had been just a week before. Oh, wow. So I was very sad about that, but I had it on my calendar in big letters for the next year. (laughs) And uh, that's how I heard about it It was just um, word of mouth. And yeah, it was... Like I said, it's all downhill. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's I think it's uh, uphill in in your case, like like rising to the stars. <laughs> um, so like, I, I like I'm still I, this is boggling my mind, and and I'm just fascinated by this. So, 2015, you go to the show and you buy some parts and you go home and you fix them. At what point is your next idea? I'm going to sell these pins and I'm going to go to the pin show and I'm going to be the vendor or I'm going to sell online. Like, how does, where does that jump take place in like in this process that you've, you're, you're going through in like 2015, 2016? Well, that was an external voice to me that mm-hmm. was my husband saying, you have to sell some. <laughs> so uh, the only way I really knew how was at fountain pen shows. Um, and I made that decision actually when I was out in uh, San Francisco at a show at the show there uh, a few mm. years back, and I um, I was very in- um, I was encouraged by everybody there, and mm-hmm. they wanted to bring another person deeper into the into the hobby, um, you know, because we're all wonderful enablers. Yes. And that goes for vintage people as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just kept fixing up uh, as many as I could. And then I went to Chicago one year and I had no plans to sell, but I brought stuff because I wanted to lay it out and trade. Mm-hmm. And um, I did lay it out and trade. And then I had so many questions of, are you going to be selling at the show or why don't you just do that? They've got an extra table. Go do it. And after hearing that enough times, I, I did. <laughs> um, Cause that it was, 
scary. Um, selling yeah. something to someone that you have repaired and are putting your reputation behind is terrifying to me. Absolutely, absolutely. So what what year was that Chicago show? How many? Um, that was last year. Yeah, because I'm wondering if that's where we first met, actually. Uh, yeah. Because I was at that show. That may I, have been the first time we met yeah. in person, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Wow. Yep. So, okay, so <laughs> this is this is awesome. Like, I, I'm learning something, like, like, just pretty much how insane you are. <laughs> in the Obsessed, best way possible. Yeah, yeah in the best yeah. way possible. Like, my kind of obsession. So, okay, I want to talk about, like, some of the specifics that you're into, because you're kind of, you're kind of known for, you know, one particular pin brand. <laughs> but we're going to tease that for a second while I, uh, while I say thanks to our first sponsor this week, which is Casper Mattresses. So, this episode of The Pin Attic is brought to you by our friends at Casper. Casper are the company focused on sleep, and they're dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You spend a third of your life sleeping. If you spend a third of your life doing anything, like Jesse repairing fountain pens, <laughs> you want to make sure it's the best it can possibly be, and that's why you need Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. So what goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? I'm glad you asked, Jesse. They, com <laughs> they combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. They're designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable designs helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver directly to your door, and if you don't love it, they have a hassle-free return policy. So like I always talk about, Jesse, when we talk about Casper mattresses, mm -hmm. is ours, Casper, is actually in our guest room, so I don't sleep on there a lot unless I... Um, you know, anger, anger the missus, <laughs> and I get uh, relegated uh, to to the room. And I'm I'm proud to say that hasn't happened in a while. But it's actually getting hot here in Georgia, and mm -hmm. our our Casper mattress is <laughs> cooler than our regular mattress on our bed. I need to switch those one day. I don't know if it would actually fit, but um, I I might need to get in a little bit of trouble just so I can go sleep on the nice cool caps Casper mattress in our 90 degree weather and 100 percent uh, heat. So, <laughs> oh, I I don't know how you. Do. <laughs> With that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll work on getting in trouble so I can go uh I can go hang out with with my Casper in the uh in the guest bedroom. So you can get <laughs> you can get fifty dollars towards select mattresses by visiting Casper.com slash pinaddict and using the code pinaddict checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper and we appreciate their support of the Pinaddict podcast. All right, Miss Esterbrook. <laughs> I gotta, yeah. I gotta understand how the first Esther Brooks came into your hands, and subsequently why they never left them. Okay, so uh, I said that I was going through um, pens that were broken up, and usually mm -hmm. in bins, and um, you know you pull your hands back out, and they're all dusty and mm -hmm. old ink and stuff. Uh, Often, I would find Estabrooks there. Mm -hmm. Back in their heyday, they were everywhere. And I believe that the generation uh, before me 
really looks at them like, you know, we would a big crystal. Why right. would you fix that up? Right. Um, they were manufactured in the millions, right? I mean, yes. Were, yeah. Yeah. They were everywhere and mm-hmm. they were um, dependable, but cheap mm-hmm. and pretty too. But mm-hmm. because they were everywhere and because people didn't look at them as something to uh, treasure, they are, they were everywhere that I looked. So it was easy to find them. I could get them inexpensively. And um, once I figured out the insides of them, they were super easy to fix. And I don't know, I think that um, the colors also got me because once they're Mm -hmm. polished up, they're just amazingly beautiful. They really are. And then when I was at the DC show, um, actually the last one that we were at together, Mm -hmm. um, I came across a nib testing station Mm -hmm. and uh i i saw that and stupidly passed it by (laughs) um went to to sleep that night thinking about it and i don't know halfway through the night just inspiration came to me of that's exactly how i want to approach people with selling these because i could take them through the process of knowing what they like and then pushing themselves a little bit to try something that is new, but then settling on something that's comfortable and it's all in a vintage setting. Mm -hmm. So it could, you know, people could get over their fear of vintage with just being able to test those out. Right. So I got up as early as I possibly could and went down there with the cash in hand and, (laughs) The gentleman that was selling it didn't show up until noon that day. Oh, no. And, <laughs> Probably because yeah. he couldn't get a table. Well, oh, no. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will never forget your face at the show. <laughs> I've never seen it so red. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I was just on pins and needles waiting for him to come back and... Uh, got it, and I don't know. Everything just opened up there. I I knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> so what I find the most fascinating, what draws you in with Esterbrook is the colors for me, the barrel <laughs> mm-hmm. colors. But yeah. what sells the Esterbrook and what's really like the key, I think, to the brand as a as a popular vintage brand are those nibs, right? How many? Mm-hmm. Do you have any clue? Like the total number of nibs that they created i mean it's like it's hundreds right it's like a couple hundred or more well um in the 1800s they were the leaders in making dip nibs okay and they have hundreds of those um they had the numbering system but you could buy all kinds and they were making them also specific for various um uh career types um Mm -hmm. judges probate um teachers students, um, everything in between. And when fountain pens started becoming popular in the 1930s, maybe it could have been a little bit earlier, but as far as I know, it was the early 1930s. They went and uh, transferred their knowledge of all of those nib types into uh, fountain pen nibs. Mm -hmm. And since their specialty was the different types of nibs, they pulled that in with them and 
wonderfully, I think, made them in units so that you could easily change them out into anything you wanted. And with fountain pen nibs, about 40 are the most common ones, but there's all kinds of others. And there's some that you only see a couple times in your life, even if you're searching for them. Mm -hmm. And they're just mythical because they're so rare. <laughs> so someone like myself who likes a very firm, very fine nib, there's something for me, right? And then someone Absolutely. who likes a wider, wetter nib, there's something for them too, right? And these are all swappable in and out of different barrels. Not, I guess they're not totally universal, right? Or are they mostly? They are actually. Okay. Um, any of their nibs fit on almost any of their units. Um, okay. It's amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. So if you're putting together the Jesse Esterbrook, what are you picking for your barrel and what are you picking for your nib? And why? uh, Okay. Um, So I enjoy some of the uh, less common Esterbrooks, um, like the Deluxe model or the um, even the CX-100 that are harder to find, but they look a little more... um, striking. They make mm-hmm. you look a couple times uh, instead of just glancing over them. But I also like the J and LJ models because when they are polished, it I guess the word is shitoyans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My uh, least favorite word on the on the planet. Yes, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, there's there's other worse words. I'm just kidding. There are. There are. I just I like to have fun with that one. But yes, they it's like this shiny, shimmery effect, and it's this yeah. depth that you just can't really focus on, but it's there. Like you see this weird depth in the pen, and it looks beautiful. Absolutely, and it you can turn it and. It distracts you terribly, and uh, <laughs> they're just gorgeous. But I have a dark brown, or it's called root beer, uh, mm-hmm. in LJ and J, which mm-hmm. LJ is just the slimmer version of the J. Mm-hmm. Um, I use those all the time. And one of my favorite nibs is 9788, which is a medium flexible, but it's also getting very rare and hard to find right now. And I also like a very extra fine point um, with a 2550. It's firmer and it's uh, an incredibly smooth fine point. Mm-hmm. I want to say I I should have looked at the nibs that I have before I talked to you, I'm, but 2550 sounds familiar as long as it's mm-hmm. not some super rare one that I'm making up. It seems like that might be one that I have. Nope, it's not super rare. Yeah, yeah. So I think I have 2550. Um, is there something in like the Esterbrook vintage world that would be like your perfect pen that you don't own? Like, is there some magic Esterbrook out there that, you know, one of these days you hope to own one of? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would love to Are get you, into the crack, was, cracked ice. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. I was going to say, maybe you don't want to say it because then someone, <laughs> you know, will see it and buy it and then like try to sell it to you for a higher price. No, that's already happened. Don't <laughs> worry. I think I've, I think I've seen pictures of those cracked ice where they, was one of them yellow? Yeah, there's okay. yellow and there's a beautiful blue one. And, um, I have the burgundy it's, I, it's Moroccan red. Mm-hmm. And I have a set of those, and they're gorgeous. Um, Nick found those for me. Oh, nice. Uh, so those are ones that I keep my eye open for, but they're mm-hmm. quite a bit more expensive than the uh, everyday Esterbrooks. But also, I adore the pastel pens, the purse pens. Yeah. 
So those I've, are the little yeah. tiny ones. <laughs> I've been tempted. I, I'm starting to see some of those recently. And I've been tempted because I like smaller pens. One of the reasons why I like Esterbrook because they're not a necessarily like a huge big body pen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like them for the nibs mostly, but they feel really, really good in my hand. Like I enjoy writing with an Esterbrook more than just like a common uh, vintage pen, like a Parker 51 or a Parker Vacumatic. They fit my hand and feel a little bit better. And mm-hmm. then I get the bonus of having like a really great nib that's r- kind of almost tailor-made to me, you know, because I have so much yeah. choice to that. So for people who aren't aware of you know, Esther Brooks, and they walk up to your table. What's, can you give me like a basic general starter price range if you want to put together a pin barrel and a reasonably common nib to get like a really good restored, restored by Jesse hashtag uh, <laughs> Esther Brook pin at a pin show? Well, um, yeah, I have a, a base price with the pens um, and I, I sell them for $45 and mm-hmm. it, it uh, comes with one of the more standard nibs, the 1000 series. So mm-hmm. that gets you medium, fine, medium, fine, or extra fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I credit you $5 towards the cost of any of the other nibs. Um, I have all of the nibs priced based on uh, availability and demand that's out mm-hmm. there. So, of course, the flex nibs are wildly in demand right now yeah so give me a price on that what's what's a high-end esterbrook rare esterbrook nib go for that's actually obtainable not like not not something (laughs) that there's only a couple of but something that's out there but just not as much uh, as before yeah the the ones that aren't made out of unobtainium right uh so i think the most expensive nib that i typically sell is um an 85 dollar nib and that's the um the extra fine flexible nib. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds actually pretty nice. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you know, if you're getting something cool like that, it's still cheaper than a gold nib and you might get more enjoyment and more variety out of something like that. Yeah. You don't have to be scared to use it because right. if you, I mean, worse comes to worse, if you ruin the nib, then all you have to do is buy that. Yeah. You don't exactly. have to rebuy the whole pen. Exactly. So, Help our listeners out for a minute. Um, the The question I get probably the most often is, how do I know I'm getting a good vintage pen? Like, I'm scared to go, you know, dabble in the vintage pen world. I don't know what I'm getting, but I look at these pens and they're beautiful and I want to try them. I don't know where to start and I don't know if I'm getting a good one. So do you have any tips to like, you know, guide first time buyers into vintage pens that they should look for? Yeah. Well, first thing, come to my table. Yes, please. <laughs> and, you know, I I let people try out all the different nibs. So that helps to become more comfortable with what a vintage nib feels like. Mm-hmm. Usually, vintage dealers don't let you test the nibs before you're just about ready to buy it. So that's a tough thing. Right. But what you can do to find somebody that is trustworthy is to look for... Um, uh, stores or individuals that are respected in the community, that they love talking about all kinds of uh, background about their pens. Um, People who uh, have nice looking setups as well. Um, And I mean by that, that they've put care into it. 
And I think that um, you just need to look for people who really care about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, those are the people who will make anything right within mm -hmm. reason. I mean, you can't be one of those people that demands all kinds of stuff from them. But, right. uh, you know, somebody who reputation matters in the pen world, it's such a small group that um, a bad a bad sale is heard about. Yes. So, you know, just look for somebody who uh, really knows about them and is trusted mm -hmm. and then talk to them. Let them know what, uh, like where you stand in vintage pens. If you mm -hmm. have no idea what you're talking about, go ahead and tell them. They're not going to try and fleece you. Right. Um, they love getting people into vintage. Um, yeah. But yeah, just get involved in the community and then you'll quickly find, I think, who you can trust. Yeah, I always tell people who are looking for vintage pens and they're talking to me before a pen show that I'm going to be at, I'm like, come find me. Like, and I will tell you, I will point you out, you know, go to this table, go to this table, go to this table. Yeah. And kind of, you know, I'm more than happy to do that um, at pen shows. And, you know, I'll always send people to you. And if you don't have it, <laughs> you know the people to, to send people to. You know, yeah. this is not like a competition between all the vendors and stuff. Like, you obviously want to sell a pen. But if you know someone has something that you don't carry and they it's really good you're going to you're not going to hesitate to send someone over to the, their their direction. Absolutely, cuz I know that they do the same with me. Right. Right. So you do you restore all the pins you sell? Yeah, I do. Okay. I either um I have a couple people that I trust their work. Mm -hmm. And if I buy a batch from them that they've already restored, then I will just thoroughly test them. Sure. But any that are restored uh, through me, have been restored by me. Gotcha, gotcha. So you'll find some vintage vendors, that's the case, where everything's restored, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you'll find it where there's none restored. And you can generally visually tell the difference, right? Like kind of like, yeah. like you were saying, you know, someone's set up that is neat and organized and displayed and priced, they've gone through and validated that all these pens are in good working shape, whether they restored them, someone else restored them, or they're essentially new. And then you'll go to a table where it's a little bit more spread out, more of a hunt for you, and you 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 uncap a pen, and there's dried ink on the nib. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but you also know that that pen hasn't been tested or restored by that person. They're buying, selling it in, on an as-is basis, and those are two different kind of purchases you need to be aware of. Absolutely. And you know, there's some pens out there that are so delicate or so rare that um, most dealers or uh, restorers just won't touch them. They'll mm -hmm. just sell them as is because there's, you never know what you're going to get when you start restoring a pen. Yep. Um, yep. It could crumble in your hands as you're mm -hmm. opening it. So I've had that happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I've seen uh, I've seen accidents happen uh, on tables where it's like someone will pick something up and then have like an oops uh, oh. on there. Yeah, it happens. You know, I know, <laughs> not a big deal. So, what resources do you use? Like when you're shopping for pens besides pen shows, I imagine you do pretty good business on on both sides of the table at mm -hmm. pen shows. And you mentioned eBay earlier. Are there other resources for people looking to shop for vintage pens that they can uh, feel feel comfortable in, in buying from? Yeah. Um, so other than those two, um, 
the best way to look for them is through word of mouth, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, many of my purchases, I started with eBay and at pen shows, and I've moved on towards um, you know, antique shows, not usually stores, but antique mm-hmm. shows, um, estate sales, dealer to dealer purchases, and mm-hmm. those are not nearly as uh, accessible. To people who are just wanting to buy one or two, um, those are right. places where you buy, you know, a box or a bag of them for mm-hmm. a certain price. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that eBay can be a great place. Uh, there's some very trusted people on there, mm-hmm. uh, it, as long as they have a good record and they've sold plenty of other vintage pens. Then I think it can be usually trustworthy, as long as they accept. Um, either returns or Mm -hmm. they'll work with you afterwards. Right. Uh, And eBay really protects you, I think. But you just do, you don't exactly know what you're going to get when you go through eBay. Sure. But those are ways that you can protect yourself there. Okay. And you did mention community. I'll have all of Jesse's uh, um, information where you can get her on social media and in the show notes here so you can ask her any questions you have about about pens and Estherbrooks and vintage pens and repairs in general. And, you know, you can ask myself uh, as well, and we'll, we'll more than happy to guide you in the right direction and, and answer any questions you have. As a matter of fact, I'll just automatically forward uh, all of my emails with contain the word vintage over to you. Is that okay? <laughs> That's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I'll set up, set up a rule for that. Um, on the repair front, if anyone's wanting to get started in repairing vintage pens, do you, uh, can you give us a couple of little quick tips? Like what are the, some of the mistakes you, you realized early that were actually like easy things like that you, you didn't catch right up front? Are there any like one or two little things that uh, are good guidelines for beginning pen repairers? Well, um, the very most important thing to remember is take your time. Mm. If you rush it, most likely you're going to break something yeah. and uh, in a way that can't be fixed. Um, and also, if you get frustrated with it, put it down and walk away. Because, <laughs> yeah, these are 80 and 100-year-old items we're dealing with here, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, and it's it'll last another couple days if you need to walk away <laughs> it'll be fine <laughs> so this sounds like i would be a terrible pin repair person <laughs> <laughs> well you know you learn your you learn it very quickly because yeah. uh, they say that the cost of pen school is broken pens yes yeah that makes, and, makes sense you know there's lots of information out there um i just learned by uh talking to a whole bunch of people and YouTube wasn't really part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was more figuring it out myself, um, repair books that were made for the um, people repairing those pens, Mm -hmm. um, and talking to a lot of people. Very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So before before we get into a a big batch of random questions, you were just at the St. Louis Pen Show, Mm -hmm. and my NotCo business partner, Jeff, was there, but I haven't got to talk to him much about the show. And since it was a new show... Um, I kind of want to get your feedback on that show, if you can kind of give us a big picture overview for those of us who weren't able to make it and might want to consider that show for next year. What were your thoughts on just St. Louis as a whole? Well, it was very nice to hang out with Jeff. Um, <laughs> Are you sure? You're, you're just saying he was, that? He was, he's quite a character and he brings <laughs> a lot of um, interest to conversations. <laughs> 
he uh, seems to be a very great guy. He is. <laughs> he a, is a good guy, but he is. He's definitely Jeff. <laughs> he definitely has his quirks, and that's why we love him. <laughs> um, the show itself was. I thought it was a great show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it it had its small issues, but they were small and they were paid attention to. Sure. And people worked on making those right instead of ignoring them or sweeping them away. Nice. Uh, the weather in St. Louis was stupidly hot. And <laughs> I don't think I've ever felt something as humid as that. Mm. And uh, we almost had a tornado one night. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah we, see, I haven't heard any of this yet, so I'm glad I asked oh, you. We were all sitting in um, fuzzy tacos. It's quite a... <laughs> Quite a name, nice. And um, uh, the it, I think it was Anna and Bob, um, her husband mm-hmm. and my daughter. Whoa, 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 back up. Okay, <laughs> I'm Anna's husband. Let's get that clear. Oh, I'm no, but see, um, you were absent, oh, so okay. she had to bring her other husband. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, gotcha. Um, <laughs> and uh, oh, okay, so we were sitting at Fuzzy Tacos, and the wind started up. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been totally clear and hot and still. Go inside, and 10 minutes later, plants are blowing horizontally. Oh, my gosh. Um, a, a chair or a table from outside slammed against the glass window. <gasps> People were running as fast as they could into uh, stores so that they could get out of this. And it, it was... <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm used to, I'm used to um, that kind of weather. Sure, I, sure. I've spent plenty of time in Kansas, but it was um, a very sudden and very, uh, um, there was a lot of wind all of a sudden. (laughs) Very angry wind. Yeah. Um, But it was a great place because you could access all kinds of different restaurants without even leaving um, a building. A lot of them were attached. Okay, cool. So tornadoes aside, uh, <laughs> you, you you would add that to the list if the opportunity came to to make it back to St. Louis. So that, that would be on the list. Cool. There were a lot of people that were very interested and in getting into pens for the first time. Good, good. I like to see that. Um, you know, I know they put a lot of work into getting that show up and running. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad it was a, a success. So I got some some random questions, some uh, podcast talk for you, and I even have a little Ask Jesse segment uh, that some <laughs> of your your good friends post questions for. But first, I want to talk about one of our other wonderful friends at Pen Chalet. So this episode of The Pen Attic is brought to you by Pen Chalet. They sell authentic, amazing rollerballs, fountain pens, ballpoints, mechanical pencils, and so much more. They have all your favorite brands like Monteverde, Pelican, Lamy, Pilot, Namiki, Sailor, and Caveco. And are, of course, an authorized dealer of all these brands. They're very fast and very reliable with their customer service. They run special discounts twice a month, including closeout specials every two weeks, always adding new styles of pens every month. And as well as all the brands I mentioned earlier, Pen Chalet sells limited edition pens and all the accessories you ever need, like carrying cases, pen holders, refills, fountain pen converters, and so much more. They have free shipping on orders over $50 in the United States and also ship internationally with very reasonable shipping rates. 
Pen Chalet has low prices on high-quality pens and offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So go to penchalet.com, click on the podcast link at the top of the website, enter the password PENADDICT for this week's special offer, and to get the code, you need to save 10% on anything at Pen Chalet. So let me tell you, Jesse, I yeah. usually don't hit the link until Mike reads the ad, but since I'm reading the ad, I needed to take a look ahead of time and... Mm-hmm. Like Ron always manages to do, he comes up with something pretty great. In this case, two things pretty great. Number one is the Platinum 3776 Nice Lavande fountain pen, oh. which was the purple and rose gold mm. fountain pen. Um, I can't tell you the prices. Y'all need to go click on the link, find these prices yourself, and get the 10% off. But I've, I haven't seen it for as low as what Ron's selling it for right now, this pen. Mm-hmm. And I know it was super popular, so it's a pretty amazing price. It's a gorgeous pen, too. I have one. And then on top of that, I did a double take at the price of the Aurora Optima Flex fountain pen. So Ron has, what? how many colors are out now? It looks like five colors are out now. Green, gray, light blue, orange, and yellow. I actually prefer the Optima barrel over the 88 barrel, the flat top style for the Aurora Optima. I really did double take on this price when I saw it after all the discounts and codes you get by entering the code PINADDICT at checkout at penchalet.com. It's kind of nuts. Like I I don't even know what to think about what Ron's doing here, but uh, I'm glad he is doing it for the PINADDICT listeners. And uh, I really appreciate everything he does for the show. So thanks so much to Penchalet for sponsoring, sponsoring Relay FM and the PINADDICT. So besides Esterbrook, Jesse, you know, that's kind of your niche, what you're known for. What other vintage pens do you enjoy either using or repairing or selling? Do you have any other favorites? Well, I um, I like uh, restoring button fillers of all kinds. Um, I've been into glass-nibbed fountain pens lately where mm-hmm. they actually have an ink reservoir inside and they're glass-nibbed. Uh, those are a lot of fun. Nice. And... Uh, I love repairing uh, vacuumatics. Um, the Parker 51s aren't necessarily my area, but mm-hmm. I think they're great pens. Um, and I love just finding random pens. Uh, anything w- that's cute or beautiful or mm-hmm. tiny or eye-catching in some way. Mm-hmm. And uh, repairing those, it's just fun because... Um, you know, it's an original, most likely. There's probably nothing else like it out there. Right. Uh, but well, to be able to save those pens and give them another life, I love it. One of the things I found interesting in my journey through fountain pens and learning more about vintage pens were a lot of these companies um, had sub-brands and lower price value brands mm-hmm. that ended up making some of the most pretty pens that mm-hmm. were uh you know compared to like their mainline brands they're like sometimes these they would like experiment a little bit more and they'd make these really neat uh looking materials and, and designs for pens and you can still get them at like the lower cost is still kind of built into their current pricing so yeah i think it's kind of neat to just kind of play around at, at some of these vintage pen tables and find some of these off brands yeah and i love looking for the tiniest pens I can find. (laughs) 
Although usually Ralph Reyes is the one that snatches up most of those. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're just amazing. Little yeah. Peter Pan pens. Yep. <laughs> yep. They're really cool. What about modern pens? Do you get into uh, modern pens at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have plenty of those. Um, one of the biggest things that I like in purchasing is if there's several different colors. <laughs> <laughs> so I have my collection of Lamies and Twisbees yep. that are all the rainbow. Um, but I I don't know. I love um, writing with, uh, I, I think actually my favorite nib right now is um, the Franklin Christoph Sig nibs. Mm. And uh, yeah, that has all of its own story that I think we can talk about later on. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, goodness, those things are just gorgeous to write They're with. glorious, glorious. So speaking of writing, you've actually uh, picked up a little side writing gig, I noticed. This like hit me like, I don't know, what, a couple months ago? You started writing for Anna at the Wellapony Desk. How's that going? Oh, it's great. Um, Anna and I have just have are hit it off completely with each other. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, were comparing our pens the other day and opened up our pen cases and two thirds of the pens were identical. <laughs> so we had to be careful not to get the other one's pen case. <laughs> <laughs> but she and I were talking online once and uh, I told her excitedly that I'd just put up my first pen review and it was mm -hmm. actually the uh, the Keras Customs uh, Reactor series. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. And she said, well, how'd you like doing it? And I said, "I it was a lot of fun. Uh, she said, well, I'm always need, or I need right now another writer. Mm -hmm. So would you be interested in maybe doing a little bit of that? And yeah, that's what started it off. And it's been so much fun. Um, I don't always get to do a lot of writing up of mm -hmm. things. Um, but you know, getting to physically use those items and then tell people how I enjoyed it or how it made me feel, um, it's a blast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. That's really cool. I, I love seeing that. And I love, uh, I love the crew that Anna has put to together over there with you and Laura and Tina. And I don't know if I'm missing anyone, but, uh, I, I don't know. No, I right always, now it's that. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love reading all y'all stuff. You had another project come to an end recently, though, and I wanted to make sure we talked about that. So you were part of the BYOB podcast, which was mm -hmm. a, a beloved podcast in our little niche community. Um, you had sometimes upwards of eight or more people on on a podcast at the same time talking about all the craziness that we get into. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how that started, because you were there in the beginning, and then uh, what led to y'all not doing it anymore? Well, in the beginning, it was um, a few of us that were uh, talking about how fun it is after a pen show when we all get to sit around and um, talk and be let loose a bit in the bar afterwards. Um, <laughs> yeah. And show off our pens and talk about what happened. And we were saying that it was uh, tough that none of us would be together at any pen show that we could think of. But then we thought, why don't we just, you know, hang out through Skype or something mm -hmm. and just chat with each other? We could do that. So we all got on. Um, it, it ended up being Discord, but we mm -hmm. all got up on one night and uh, um, one person said, you know, some people couldn't make it. So do you mind if I record it and they can listen to it later and have fun that way? So, yeah, 
that happened. And that <laughs> ended up being episode zero. <laughs> wow, that's cool. So yes, there was absolutely no planning, no real organization at the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just thrown together. And it was really meant to have that wild kind of feel yep. of um, everybody excited and loving pens and just wanting to talk about it. So that's how everything started. And then, uh, you know, as we were going, it's really difficult to coordinate eight people's schedules. <sighs> it's ins- I mean, I, every yeah, week. <laughs> it's insane. It's totally crazy. But yeah. It is. And um, we made do with it for quite a while. And mm-hmm. then we started kind of going into different projects as well, like uh, doing interviews with people and going to the pen shows and recording there and still doing all of the regular episodes and doing the jelly bean episodes yeah. where we were interviewing each other. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we had our website as well, where we were starting to put up reviews. And it just seemed like we had so many little projects. Mm-hmm. And Everybody loved all of them, but there was no way we could keep up all of those. Yeah. And we talked about it for a long time. Um, and it was a very, it was very heavy because yeah. we all knew that uh, it just wasn't sustainable that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so we talked a lot about um, kind of breaking it into smaller chunks um, and keeping under the BYOB name. But it ended up not making sense that way. So we have different projects that are starting out there. Um, Michael came out with a podcast that isn't related to pens and stationery, but it's incredibly entertaining. Yep. So we'll and link a lot to that. Of fun. We'll link to that uh-huh. in the show notes. Thank you for reminding. Hypothetical, I believe, is the, yeah, the name. Hyper. Yeah. Hyper. Yeah. Yeah. What you said. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> so he's he's um, questioning different guests about um, just hypothetical situations that mm-hmm. they'd be in and how they'd react. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way to get into people's brains a little bit. Um, so instead of uh, splitting off the BYOB name into different um, activities, we just decided to retire that project and then gotcha. start up what we needed to after. Well, cool. Well, I was certainly enjoyed. I I made two guest appearances on uh, Mm -hmm. the BYOB podcast. I had a blast every time. And uh, I mean, like we're all friends in real life, so it's easy to just, uh, you know, hop online and and chat with your friends. And I I certainly enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I wish the best to everyone in in their new future project. I think what was cool about this project is even though this one came to an end, everyone got pretty excited about doing their own things. And you're starting to see like those wheels, you know, starting to turn and, and these other projects coming out. And anytime there's like, you know, more creators and more sharing of information in our community, I'm 100% for. So, uh, you know, the end of BYOB, uh, it's bringing about uh, more more stuff from uh, all the individuals that were part of it, right? Yeah, and actually I should mention a couple of the other things that were happening. Evgenie has some stuff that he's recorded on YouTube. Right. And Sarah has some stuff going on, I, I think on YouTube, but also on Twitch. Yep. And uh, Ralph, you know, everybody knows about Ralph's nibs, I think. <laughs> right, And right. those have really just taken off. Yeah. And, you know, he's... He's even uh, crazier about that stuff than I am with yeah. getting into vintage pens very quickly. Yeah. So, so what's your um, secret project? I am working on um, a thing on Twitch with oh. Michael where we're going to be doing um, 
you know, really digging into the stationary world and nice. trying to find stuff that people don't usually come across and bringing it to light oh, and cool. introducing people um, more and more to um, the little uh, sections that split off of the pen world. Nice, nice. I w- actually was not expecting an answer for that. But I, it was a lovely. <laughs> it was a lovely answer. I love it. I can't wait to see that because uh, well, there I'm you go. Big, I'm a big Twitch. <laughs> I'm a big Twitch fan, and uh, you know, I'm getting my feet wet on that platform right now. And I think it's a very, yeah, very good and useful platform. So we'll we'll talk about that more as y'all uh, as y'all get going with that. So yeah, can't wait to see that. All right. So some of your uh, your and I are I friends had a few questions for you. Uh, one is from Andrew, who was also on the BYOB podcast with me on my first appearance. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was on the second one, but uh, Mr. He was also a moderator for us. Yes, yes. So he had a huge list of questions. Um, so I picked a couple <laughs> and he wanted to know, are there any other vintage pens that could be brought back into use like the Esterbrook ballpoints through 3D printing? And I bring this up for obvious reasons. Both you and mm-hmm. I reviewed an Esterbrook ballpoint that used a 3D printed kind of cartridge component. So you could put in a slide in a refill into that. So what do you think about mm-hmm. this type of use of 3D printing for vintage pen restoration? I think it's great. And I think that you do need to um you do need to let people know that it's not totally all original. Mm-hmm. Um but uh Bama Pens is the ones is the company that made the uh, Esterbrook um adapter. Mm-hmm. And he has another one already. It's a Schaefer. I can't remember which models. Yeah, but, um, I can't remember either. Yeah. But he's also working on some more right now. So I think that we will see even more out of him uh, that comes out and makes other things useful again. So yeah. don't throw away any of the stuff that you don't think is useful. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's kind of a, a the perfect usage of this 3D printing technology to make old parts for old pens. I mean, you start we're starting to see more and more of that, and uh, I think that'll just continue on and, and end up uh, bringing some of these products back to life. I think that's great. Yeah. So this next question, I feel like it might be an inside joke that I don't know about, but I'm just going to go for it. Um, or maybe it's just, you know, Andrew's sense of humor. <laughs> no, it, it's no inside joke that okay. I know of. <laughs> okay. So if you found a woodchuck writing down how much wood he had chucked, what number nib would be in his Esterbrook? So what's the proper woodchuck chucking Esterbrook nib number? Well, I'm actually surprised that I was asked this because it seems so obvious that you would have an accounting nib um, <laughs> since he would be accounting for his wood that he nice. chucked. Nice, <laughs> nice. So, um, you know, there's several of them that were thought of as accounting nibs, but, you know, 2556, let's go with that one. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and then from Anna, not your Anna, but the Incantadora Anna, who is also a podcaster. I love all these podcasters out, out, out in the wild now. <laughs> yeah. So a few ink and pen related questions for you. What is your absolute favorite and least favorite inks? Okay, so um, if anybody doesn't know already, I am obsessed to the I it's terrible um, with inks, <laughs> and uh, my favorite ink sometimes changes even a couple times during the day. Um, now, currently, my favorite is uh, my favorites are. Um, Mont Blanc uh, Swan. Mm-hmm. It's a very strange color. And then Califolio. Uh, I think it's Bourjonnais. Okay. I think I've said that right. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, it's kind of a smoky, purplish, mm-hmm. burgundy. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, Franklin Kristoff Emerald 357. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and then do you, least yeah, do you favorite? Have... Oh, I have a bunch of that are, that are least favorites, but um, the uh, the Bay State Blue wins out that one. Yeah. Just because I wish it was different, but yeah, it'll it'll kill all your vintage pens, won't it? Oh, please don't do that. <laughs> I will come take away your vintage pens if you <laughs> if you threaten that. <laughs> so I'm going to jump to her third question since we're this is very related to it. What uh, what inks do you approve for use in your vintage Esther Brooks? So Waterman is always my very favorite for those, but mm-hmm. I say any time there's been a company that's been around for a good while, mm-hmm. um, in a Pilot, Sailor, J. Herbon, Aurora, Schaefer, any of those companies that have been around quite a while and have had to fix pens if their ink ruins them. Yep. I will say with Parker, that's why they pulled the Sapphire, um, the Parker Penman Sapphire. Yeah, that um, whole lineup of inks. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, anybody who's been around the block several times and knows what it can do to pens. Yep, those those pen manufacturer brands always tend to be the safest because exactly like you said, they're not going to make something that's going to cause them more work on their own pens. So mm-hmm. they've uh, they've done a good job with that. So do you have uh, a Grail ink or a Grail pen that you would uh, want to, to add to your collection one day? See, Grail is so final. Totally. I, but I'm with you. I have some that I'm currently trying to get, mm-hmm. like... Uh, Athena Eternal Blue is the one that I'm currently obsessed with trying ah, to get. Okay. And then my pen, um, I'm currently drooling over the kumbu, yeah. which is the funniest word ever. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, I can't say it in front of my kids because they'll die laughing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I can't ever have a grail pen because that would be, that means it's the end. The and end. That's right. Can't do that. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, I do. Ha- I actually, I I bit the bullet and I do have uh, a kumbu heading my way. So um, we'll we'll talk. I don't have it in yet, so we'll uh, we'll talk about that in future episodes. See how I enjoy Great. it. See how I enjoy it. So we appreciate all the questions for Jesse, and I would be remiss if we didn't end this show, Jesse, talking about our good buddy Jim Rouse. Of Franklin Kristoff. Um, for those who don't know, for those who are just catching this episode for the first time when we publish, um, Jim passed away at the Miami Pen Show this uh, past Sunday, and it's a massive loss for his family and for our community. Like, I feel very selfish saying, like, I feel I feel bad that, you know, we lost Jim and knowing that, you know, I'm not one of his family members, but all of us in the community felt like Jim's family members um, because that's the type of person Jim, Jim was. Um, He was an important part of the community. He was so well-respected. It's, hard to grasp like that the next pin show I go to in a couple of weeks Jim's not going to be there and it's going to hit me hard again it hit me hard when the news hit Sunday night um, I had a really rough Sunday night I had a really rough Monday morning um, until I got uh, you know I I got up enough nerve to to sit in front of a camera and invite people to come in and talk to talk about Jim and allow me to to share some some of my 
good memories of Jim um, on Twitch. And, you know, it helps to be able to communicate to people, you know, during times of loss. And all of us are mostly friends through the internet and only see each other a couple times a year. So it was nice to be able to chat with other people um, about uh, the loss of Jim. And you told me something, Jesse, before we started that you kind of had this tradition at pin shows. And uh, would you would you mind sharing that uh, with us? Yeah. Um, I actually had this tradition because I had to use it as a limit to myself. <laughs> um, but my first pen show purchase was a Franklin Christoph pen. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely still my favorite. Um, it was a Pocket 66, the antique glass. Mm. And I got a Signib on that. And I'd never in my life written with a pen that uh, that was ground to me and that somebody spent time making it right for me. And I I still write with that weekly. Mm-hmm. Then at other pen shows, I allowed myself to purchase one Franklin Christoph pen, even though sometimes I went over that. <laughs> <laughs> um, As we all do. Yeah, I especially loved the uh, prototypes, um, the ones that were made as one-offs. So I would pick up one or more mm-hmm. um, at each pen show and get a different nib on it. And uh, yeah, that's how my Franklin Christoph obsession started. And now I've got plenty of 45s and I adore each one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I had to I had to limit myself. But yeah. um, by, uh, I don't know, after a year of that, Jim knew me very well um, by my pen orders. <laughs> and and uh, by the time I came to pick it up, um, he would have it ground and adjusted so that it was just perfect for me. I almost never had to ask him for any other adjustments. It was, he just knew my writing style. Yep. And I think you'll, you'll find these stories a lot when you hear people that have worked with Jim and and I've been customers of Franklin Christoph over the years. I've been friends with the the whole Franklin Christoph family and and fans of Jim's work. That's the kind of guy he was. Like he just knew. And uh, we're we'll definitely be thinking about him every time we use our our pins now with uh, Jim's handiwork on the nibs. And we've had an outpouring of emails and texts and everyone's condolences. Um, so I appreciate everyone who took the time to reach out. We were lucky enough in the Atlanta pin show to interview Jim at the, at the live show in Atlanta. So episode 303 of the pin addict, I'll put it in the show notes. A bunch of people have gone back and, and listened to that, um, you know, since Jim's passing and, uh, it's a really good insight on the knowledge and humor and love that, uh, is, is now, missing from this community and uh he was a one of a kind that's for sure and uh i love him and i'll miss the heck of him heck out of him and uh dc won't be the same but uh i'll, I'll be sure to raise a a glass of coke to him uh in dc <laughs> so i'm sure I, I won't be alone in that so uh rest in peace buddy we love you and uh on that note jesse i don't want to end it on a somber note but uh okay. <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate you being on it was 
so much fun. You are so wonderful to talk to. You have so much to offer to this community. And well, thank uh, you very and, much, Brad. I appreciate oh, all of it. Absolutely, absolutely. And to uh, and to people everywhere. So why don't you real quick tell people where they can find you? online. And uh, I'll link all this in the show notes, but uh, where can people find you right now? Uh, I have vintagepenshop.com. And that's my website where I do mm-hmm. sell stuff. Um, I'm on Twitter at Rain underscore Coles mm-hmm. and uh, write for well-appointed desk. I'm on Instagram, jessierain23. Um, and so you can reach me at any of those. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, you, you can know, go ahead. No, go ahead, Brad. No, I was going to say, you'll bet I'll be reaching out to you. You know that's a fact. <laughs> I'm very glad. Where can we find you? Oh, you can find me. Look at you. Wow, you're a professional. <laughs> I wasn't even going to do it. Like That did totally escape my memory. But you can find me on Twitter at Dowdyism, D-O-W-D-Y-I-S-M, on Instagram and Twitch at Penaddict and online at penaddict.com, where all the writing is. And you can find the show notes for this episode at relay.fm slash penatic slash 317. And until next time, say goodbye, Jesse. Goodbye, Jesse.